Hello, friends, and welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Colleen Johnson, and I'm here to guide us in raw conversations about thriving in life and work so that together we can step into personal agency and stop letting life happen to us. We'll cover topics like health, boundaries, communication, finances, and worthiness. That badass business you've been dreaming of, it's not so far off. The desire to wake up feeling fully alive, it's right around the corner. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. I am just feeling feeling good today, feeling very um, refreshed and, and brightened. And I'm just excited to be chatting with um, my dear friend, Kim. We haven't chatted in a while, and so I'm excited to have Kim Kimball here with me today. And before I introduce Kim, just a little bit of where I'm at. So I'm in my office as I most regularly am. I'm sitting in my green velvet office chair. I actually have some fresh flowers on my desk today. So that feels just like really refreshing and nice to have this like beautiful rose sitting there. It has like some orange and pink colors in it, um, which I love. And my dog is on the floor sleeping as per usual. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at today. I have coffee here, but I probably shouldn't because it's the afternoon. It's mostly cold anyways, but um, I do have that with me here as well. <laughs> so that's me and where I'm coming from today. So I'm going to introduce Kim and then let her share where she's at today. So Kim Kimball is a certified life coach who helps ambitious women have thriving relationships with partners, family, friends, and colleagues by healing codependency, enmeshment, and hyper-independence. Using a mind and body-based approach, she coaches women to understand the why behind their patterns of relating and return to a place of sovereignty, power, and harmonious connection. Kim's work uses somatic and cognitive behavioral techniques to provide a holistic approach to healing. To experience her work, head to kimkimblecoaching.com. So Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. It is just, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. It's just great to reunite with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I'd love if you could just share kind of where you're at, set the scene for folks, um, and, and fill us in. Yeah. So I am in Richmond, Virginia. It is currently about to storm outside. So it's getting windy and thunderstormy. I can hear the thunder in the background, and I actually really love thunderstorms. Um, we live in a small little like 900 square foot apartment that has a um, kitchen and living room that's one big open space. So I'm sort of in the living room portion facing the kitchen with some soft light going on, surrounded by plants, which I love, greenery, um, water bottle in front of me. And yeah, that's where I am in the world. I love it. Is this your apartment? Have you been there for a while? We've been here for three years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. For some reason, and this is um, just me as a friend chatting with you, but on Instagram, I feel like I always envision your apartment so much bigger than like the the size that you described it as. Like you always like show the really beautiful parts of like your kitchen and stuff. I feel like, and it just, I, in my mind, I've orchestrated this like really luxurious space that you live in and it still looks beautiful. Like your like interior design, I like looks amazing from what I can see here. Thank you. I'm very passionate about interior design. I love it so much. And it does feel larger than what it is because it has like 12 foot ceilings in here. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that expands the space and it's that big open space between rooms. So it doesn't feel super cramped, but it is small. Totally. Yeah. And I, I love interior design as well. I just love how the, the feeling of a space, like what, I don't know, like having my home, you know, what it feels like. And I feel like that's the sense that I get from some of your posts as well as like your home is just very beautifully like curated in a sense so that it like has this like life-giving essence to it. But that's my interpretation. Of how you I love that. And I hope that that is true. I always kind of think of myself as a designer of interior spaces, both like homes and aesthetically and what you see and in people's souls and life. Right. So yeah, yeah. kind of can go together. 
Totally. I love that. And speaking of your work and kind of your story, I would love to hear what is your story? How did you get into this work? And then what have you had to kind of reclaim to really step into this work? I grew up in a home where I had an alcoholic and an addict in the family Mm. that created some really interesting patterns of relating from a very young age that started when I was nine years old. And when it came time for me to start having romantic relationships, there was um, someone who I was partnered with at the time where I thought that we were going to end up being married. I thought it was just a sure thing. Um, And we ended up planning a trip around Southeast Asia together for three weeks. And I swore that at the end of the three weeks, I was going to come back and we were going to be engaged. And I was very unhappy in multiple other areas of my life at the time. And I think unconsciously, I was really hoping for this one thing changing to change my life in so many Mm -hmm. ways. Um, And that was all unconscious. I didn't know that at the time, but that was very much an inner hope that I had, if you would. Um, So we went on this trip and instead of getting an engagement ring at the end, I got broken up with and I had paid for the vast majority of that trip Mm. with the understanding that he was going to pay me back. And he ended up not only breaking up with me, but not paying me back $2,000 that I was owed. And just a course of events afterwards that really sent me reeling and just on, on this huge reevaluation. And through that process, I really realized, um, I I realized so many different patterns of relating because when you get to that point, it's almost like this, gosh, how did I get here? How did I miss so many red flags? How were we on such different pages? Mm -hmm. There's all of that going on, but then there was also the level going on of this thing that I thought was going to change my life in a positive direction and I had put all my eggs in the basket of this is going to make me happy, right? This is going to turn things around in my life in the way that I want and realizing that that wasn't going to happen. And that was really the moment where I started taking radical responsibility for my life. And I realized that nobody was coming to save me. Mm -hmm. Nobody was coming to help me create the life that I actually wanted to live in, you know? And because of that, I really started, I started on my life coaching journey. I actually ended up enrolling in life coaching certification, which was a very strenuous process and, and revealed more of myself to me than I had ever known. And I had previously been in therapy because of the addiction in my family, et cetera, et cetera, for 20 years or so at that time. And not to knock therapy at all. I still go to therapy at times. I think it's amazing but really the tools that I was given through life coaching helped me to understand myself and not just to understand myself and understand the whys behind my patterns of relating, like I say, but also to have a different set of tools on how to cope and how to handle things moving forward instead of just talking about things happening, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so that really empowered me in this whole new different way. And then I really started to unpack and understand, oh, this is why I could be in this relationship with this person who was completely emotionally unavailable to me. And to me, that felt like love. Hmm. Right. And Hmm. so these red flags just went right by and I was completely unaware of them And, and different things about my own patterns of relating and showing up in relationships And it sort of unraveled from there of how I really deepened into that work Um, because relationships for me have sort of been the area of the most wounding in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's been therefore what I have most needed to really reclaim for myself, my relationship with myself and my relationship with other people. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. I, I know prep like as we were preparing for this podcast and I read like little tidbits of of your story it's so funny because we've spent a decent amount of time kind of growing alongside each other in some different spaces but I had no idea a lot of these parts of your story and 
it's so interesting because I like, you know, immediately kind of parallel it to some things that I had experienced. But what I love the most about that is just the catalyst as well that life coaching was able to to really uncover those patterns like you were talking about. Um, and I find it so interesting how we can walk through life so unaware of how we are relating to people. And then once you see the patterns, it's like, a light bulb just goes on and you're like, Oh dang. And you see it everywhere. Like I I know now with a lot of the tools that I've learned from life coaching, when I sit and watch TV, when I'm, you know, hearing other people converse, I'm like, what is happening? Like, do we like, and you know, there's always these things where we can't see them inside of ourselves sometimes. And it takes, you know, work to see those patterns in ourselves, but I'd love if you could just explain and share a little bit more of what that was like for you to uncover those patterns and how, how you used that to help like shift. Cause now you're in a relationship, you're married, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. So tell us what like that was like to kind of shift from those old patterns into new patterns and now, now to be married. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to make sure and say, Megan, that you know, this isn't work that's ever really quote unquote done, you know, totally just because I'm married and in a happy committed partnership doesn't mean that I've got it all figured out or that I'm sitting here like Buddha on a mountaintop, you know, Um, (laughs) there, there are so many things that I am still learning in the context of relationship. Yeah. Um, and I truly believe, you know, when we're wounded in relationship, there's so much healing that happens in relationship. And that by no means has to be partnership. You know, it can be Mm -hmm. friendship. It can be mentorship, however. Um, But anyway, I digress. The question of like how that, how that unraveled, I'll be honest with you, you know, it was really painful at times to really look at, I, I remember, I remember specifically when I first got back from this trip and, and my partner at the time had broken up with me my best friend at the time had a conversation where she sat me down and she looked me in the eyes and she had to tell me all of the ways that she felt like this person had wronged me because I could not see it. Hmm. And she had to be the one to be the mirror and be like, this was really messed up. And this was really messed up. And this was really messed up. Not in a, like, how can you not see this way of shaming me? But like, I want you to be able to see what I'm seeing. I want you to know Mm-hmm. You deserve better treatment than X, Y, Z of what was happening, right? Yeah. So, so much of it was a really uncomfortable confrontation of, wow, this is what I've been tolerating mm-hmm. and, and really coming face to face with, I haven't, I, I've been believing somebody's words and overlooking their actions. Mm-hmm. I have been attracted to um, and really learning patterns of I've been attracted to emotionally unavailable men because my dad was emotionally unavailable. And therefore that feels normal and safe to me, even though it may not be what is the healthiest thing for me. Right. Yeah. Um, really understanding different patterns of codependency, how I would give myself away in hopes of feeling okay and, and being loved and liked and approved of and, and realizing and understanding these patterns of self-abandonment in me and how that ultimately wasn't serving me and helping me to get the connection, like the depth of true intimacy and connection that I really craved, you know? Mm. Um, so it was really starting to have more awareness around my particular patterns of self-abandonment of my particular patterns of being attracted to unavailable men, um, and seeing how those things played out and, and really looking at that in the past and then becoming super, super clear of, of knowing my patterns And knowing that I'm going to gravitate towards that and realizing on this really deep level that it's no longer what I wanted. I had to become so clear about that, right? Of like, this is not serving me. This is not what I actually want. 
It may feel safe to me on some level. And I have to take responsibility that it feels safe for me to be with an emotionally unavailable person, because then I don't really have to show up and I don't really have to risk being vulnerable. I don't really have to risk being hurt, but that's not ultimately what I want. And so becoming really, really, really clear on that, it was about a year after I got out of this other partnership before I met my husband. And when I did meet my husband, it was just this sensation, this really weighty sensation. It was simultaneously really lighthearted and super fun, but also really weighty of like, I could feel that it was different. Mm. And so having, having so much clarity on what I didn't want and what I did want made me feel emboldened to have difficult conversations very early in the relationship, you know, where, Hey, I'm not looking because at the time when I met my husband, I was 33 years old and I really Mm -hmm. wanted a committed partnership. And I wasn't in the stage where I wanted to date around. Um, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be dating with purpose. And if I knew in my head, by this point in the past, past Kim would have been like, well, I'll just wait and feel it out and see what he wants. And, and if he wants, you know, just something casual, that's fine. Maybe it'll turn into something more and I'll just, I don't want to scare him away by putting my needs out there. Right. And, and the Kim that was at that point when I met him was like, if, if I express this and he's not at that level, that's fine. It doesn't mean anything about me. It just means we're not a match. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to say that now because I am clear on me and I'm clear Mm -hmm. on what I want. And if that's a match with him, great. If it's not, I'm not wasting six months and getting my heartstrings attached and just getting hurt again. Right. Yeah. So being really clear on my past patterns um, addressing those within myself and then being really clear about what I wanted in the future and also being able to verbalize those things without, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say without any fear, but knowing that, knowing that whatever came up based on voicing those things was ultimately in highest service to both of us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Some of what I'm hearing kind of from what you're saying too, is it sounds like just like this process of learning to take up your rightful space. So like take responsibility for yourself, like what you had said previously. And I'm curious because, you know, when you come from a pattern of codependency and when you do come from a pattern of making yourself small for the sake of, of others and just even for the sake of just staying safe, like what you had described, taking up your rightful space can be really scary. What what was that like when you did start to like verbalize that? Was that scary? Was that difficult? How did you kind of bolster yourself so you could have the confidence to do that? Because I know a lot of listeners are coming from that place as well, where they're like, oh, I, I know that I'm not happy where I am, but I am a little bit scared or a lot scared to actually voice what I do want. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, the thing that I would always say with that is I firmly believe that we will never reach a place of fearlessness. It's Mm. not, it's not a goal that's attainable. It really is perfectionism in disguise. And I, I believe in, in taking our full humanity with us wherever we go. And fear is just a part of being human. It's a Mm. rightful part of being human. And so I want to say that. Um, I think for me specifically in the instances that you're talking about, I had this really painful experience that was my prior experience that was highly motivating for me to, so, so, so really drawing from the past of what hasn't worked Mm -hmm. about not voicing your truth and not taking up your rightful space can really be highly motivating, right? Mm-hmm. For, for me, that was my primary thing that gave me courage of just realizing, man, when I didn't do this, it didn't work in a major way, you know? Like I lost so much time. It hurt me deeper than most things have hurt me in my life. Also, 
really looking at, um, you know, one of the main reasons that it felt okay for me is because Paul, my husband, had proven to be a safe person. And so really looking at, you know, I'm not saying that it's all on the other person by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a factor. And you have to look at if you don't feel safe bringing this up to somebody, you have to, you have Mm -hmm. to take a look at that as well. Right. Yeah. Does it not feel safe to bring my fears here? You can even voice your fear and say, Mm -hmm. this feels scary for me to say this. This feels vulnerable for me to say this. Mm -hmm. I've been hurt by this in the past and I feel like I need to bring this up. So pulling from the past, looking at, does this person feel like a safe person to talk about this with? Um, And then the other thing for me that I always go to is, is really working on calming your nervous system, doing somatic and embodiment practices, grounding, resourcing, um, things of that nature before you do something that is eliciting any sort of fear. Um, Mm. Because I don't believe in pushing past fear. Um, I think that we need to be with our fear, listen to what is coming up and be able to calm our nervous system in order to not push forward, but progress forward, kind of holding fear's hand, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so, um, so helpful. And I love that you do integrate kind of the somatic piece of it. Um, because that is like when we're, when we do allow ourselves to be resources, resourced and grounded, it also, I think just gives that clarity Um, we can actually hear ourselves. And I know today kind of our primary topic is connection with self and with others. And before we can really have those life-giving reciprocal relationships, it starts with self. It does start with that resourcing. It does start with kind of being able to hear our intuition and be able to hear, is this safe? Is this the type of thing that I do want? And with all of the, the noise in our world, that can be really difficult to to hear and to do if we, we have to be very intentional anyways. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I'd love if you could just share a little bit um, about connection with self and with others. Like, what does that mean for you? Why does this feel like the topic that you really want to, to highlight today? For the longest times for me, relationship just felt really unfulfilling And I didn't know why it just felt, it felt difficult. It felt like a strain. And I just realized that, and of course this has been post-fact and what I love to help people with now. So they don't have to go through the same struggles that I went Mm -hmm. through, but because of the difficulties in my childhood, because I was so hurt by relationships, I really armored up and Mm -hmm. I closed down Well, I mean, first of all, let me back up a little bit and say the first thing that I did was attune solely outward. And I looked at everyone else and I said, how can I, how can I make sure that everyone else is okay so that I can be okay? Right. Mm. In general, it resulted in me trying to control others, trying to control their behavior so that I could feel okay. um, Trying to control and perfect myself so that I could be who I thought they needed me to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 90, 95% of all of my effort and energy was focused outwards on everyone else. Yeah. And so um, that was the first thing. And then I got so exhausted by that, that the pendulum swung the other way. And I just said, screw it. I don't need anybody. I'm just going to be hyper independent and I don't (laughs) need anyone. I don't need anything. And I armored up and I shut down my heart and I closed myself off to relationships. And that's when I found myself being like, why do relationships feel really unfulfilling to me? Why do I feel like I can't get close to anyone? Why do I feel like relationships aren't really nourishing to to me in the way that I see it being nourishing to other people? Yeah. And so really... The, the salve for me and for my heart and for my soul has been learning to connect to myself first, as you talked about already in this episode. And from that place of being connected to myself, I've been able to connect to others, not from a place of trying to control them or trying to um, make them a certain way so that I can feel okay. 
but Mm -hmm. from a place of relating. And what I mean by relating is that I know who I am. I know what my needs are. I am self-aware. And, you know, what can I bring to the table? What do I want to give out of overflow? Mm-hmm. And then the other person, what, what do, what are they bringing? What do they want to give out of overflow and being able to truly share what's on each other's heart and be relate in that way versus these pretenses of trying to control and relating in a way that really was quite unhealthy. So mm-hmm. learning to, as you already mentioned, tap into my my intuition, learning to even to name my needs, Megan, was so hard yeah. when things first started out. I had no idea, you know, I just knew that I would be angry and I would be resentful and I would feel like I got the short end of the stick all the time, but I couldn't trace that back and name a need of mine that was going unmet and therefore obviously was going unexpressed because I didn't know how to express it. Mm -hmm. Or, or if I did become aware of something, it was something that had been festering for so long and I wasn't able to name. And so then I would explode, right. Mm -hmm. And I would name it very forcefully, or I would say it very forcefully. And then, you know, the person would be like, Oh, I didn't know this. How was I supposed to know? But it was something that had gone unnamed for a really long time. And so learning how to get in touch with my own somatic sense, my own needs, my own wants, my own desires, my own values, and learning how to tap into those things and have that be my connection point of relating to others and sort of have everything in its right place, so to speak. Yeah. Being responsible for me, allowing somebody else to be responsible for them. Because, you know, in my childhood, there was always this feeling of if I could just get everyone else to be okay, if I can fix this situation, then I would be okay. Because mm-hmm. I truly was powerless in, in those situations. And so that can end up looking like in my marriage, well, if I can just get my husband to behave in this certain way, then, then we're going to be okay in our relationship, right? But no, mm-hmm. allowing him to be responsible for him, me to be responsible for me. Yeah, and really having that right relating coming about from my relationship to myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I find that um, like centering myself in my experience, it's like a daily practice. Like it, I don't know, it's so funny because I was, um, I was replaying some old coaching sessions that, that I've had and just listening to myself, I can see the patterns and I can see the loop. Um, but it is like that, like coming back to self and that remembering that I'm only responsible for myself and they're responsible for them and not like doing, not engaging with all of those stories and like pieces of, oh, how can I make everything outside of me? Okay. And then I'll be okay. That's a difficult process to, to come home to. And like you've mentioned previously already, it's like, it's a daily practice. You know, we're not going to there were like, there's no like Buddha on a hill that has it all figured out. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. It's, it's the, just a, a regular coming back to self. So then that overflow can happen in that actual right relationship. I love that. Hey, hey, it's Megan here. We'll get right back into today's conversation. But before we do, I'm here to let you know just a little bit about my life coaching and creative consulting. As a coach, I work with creatives, misfits, and holy outsiders who often feel trapped in overwhelm, overgiving, and fear, but who also have a passion for doing something meaningful in the world. These folks are ready to hand back their past programming and rise as the leader of their own life. If this sounds like you, and you are so ready to start your own reclamation journey, let's chat. I invite you to book a free consultation with me at my website, megscolleen.com. That's M-E-G-S-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com. Now let's dive back into today's conversation. Is there, is there more kind of around the like centering of self that you could speak to? I think that that can be a difficult thing for people to, to grasp, especially in a world that is full of like, I, I feel like terms like codependency and terms like narcissism are very popular right now. And I feel like what I've seen, I suppose maybe it's just because of the people that I engage with is I see my, my past and my engagement with narcissistic tendency folks 
And then I see, because I work with clients, a lot of codependent or like recovering people pleaser type folks. And so there's these, these two different kind of worlds, which they can actually often relate because when we're people pleasing, we are kind of falling into those manipulative patterns. But because we're seeing kind of these, these two different sides of, of, you know, folks that are becoming, they get those terms are very popular anyways. Centering of self, I feel like can sometimes feel very narcissistic when we talk about it. And I'm curious if you just have any thoughts to how centering self is not narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, my clients all the time, um, and you may experience this as well, Megan, but my clients all the time will tell me when they first start to do this work that they feel really guilty. That's yeah. sort of the language around it that I hear a lot of, you know, I feel really guilty setting a boundary or I feel really guilty when I actually assert my needs and that mm-hmm. I, I, I need something right now, you know, and that's how that can sort of show up a lot. And And what I would say, um, there's so much that I can say on the fact that I think so much of this is sociocultural. And I think that that's a piece that I don't ever like to not mention because we live in a patriarchal society, extremely so. Yeah. Uh, You know, we live in a capitalistic, oppressive society. There's all of these systems of oppression that are working Mm -hmm. that really as women, people, women identifying, um, from the moment that we are born, we have these narratives that is sort of like the water that we're swimming in. If we're, we're a fish, you know, Mm -hmm. air that we breathe. And so when we are starting the path of changing and starting to flip those narratives, it's going to elicit feelings of guilt, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually tell my clients all the time that if you feel guilty when you start doing these things, that's normal and use it as a sign that you're actually doing something different rather than the patterns that you have been just Mm. running out unconsciously all your life, right? It means you're actually doing something different. And so it's a sign that good change is happening, right? But, you know, The reason why I believe it's not narcissistic is because when when I am able to center myself and my own needs, it just as I was saying before, it allows me to actually relate to you from a place of authenticity. Mm. So it actually allows right relationship. Otherwise, what are you relating to a fake version of me that I'm putting a mask on in order to appease you? That's not really relating. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I actually am centering myself, then I'm able to bring my full self forward to actually have relationship with you. And it's not saying I'm doing all of this for my own gain to have it be about me, 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 which is narcissism. It's more so I am, I am able to give from a place of overflow instead of from a place of obligation. I am able to authentically relate to you from a place of my true capacity Mm -hmm. and who I really am instead of this place of masked and being who I think you need me to be. I love that. That was really good. And I love that you were able to kind of bring in those pieces as well, just kind of talking about the um, the guilt and the societal um, conditioning that we're living within as well, because that's true. And I, every time you mentioned kind of these, uh, the patterns and we were talking about, like, if you're experiencing guilt, like know that that's just a sign you're doing something different. And something I think that I, it's like those, the phrase, um, about like, if you do the same thing over and over and expect the same result, do you remember that? that yeah. If, if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah. Yes. I feel like so many of us go through life living that out without realizing it. Because we do, we expect different results when we are doing the exact same thing. We're doing the same routines. We're making the same choices. We're watching the same TV shows and we're expecting our life to look different. And 
when we are willing to kind of step outside of our comfort zone and stretch ourselves to, to live a little bit outside of our boxes, then suddenly life can actually have an opportunity to shift. Even though we may have to move through those feelings of guilt, those feelings of fear and, you know, be with our body in that process, but then we can actually shift and open up new doors for ourselves, new ways of relating to people, having the relationships that maybe we've never gotten to experience because we've done relationship the same way our entire lives. Um, So that's really cool. Yeah. I love that you said being with your body through these shifts, because really, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say for example, guilt is coming up being with that sensation and allowing it to be there and saying, you know, Hey, it's okay. that guilt is coming up. It doesn't mean that I'm doing anything wrong. It just Mm -hmm. means I'm doing something new and, and really allowing ample room and space for that and supporting yourself through that and being with that allows you to expand into something. Yeah. 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 I love it. So good. So good. So I'm curious For folks who are ready to relate to themselves and who are ready to relate to others in new ways and to have new forms of connection, what are some empowering tips that you recommend? I feel like we've already talked about some really good stuff, which is amazing, but what empowering tips do you have for folks? Yeah. So I brought three things, three empowering tips. The first thing is to validate your own needs first. And I don't know about anybody else, any of your listeners, but I used to do this thing where I would just feel my needs and then expect somebody else to mind read. Yes. <laughs> and and <laughs> if, if somebody else could read my mind, it meant they loved me, you know? Mm-hmm. It yeah. meant that they were so in tune with me that, that they, and they loved me enough and that they could intuit that, they could read my body language, I wanted that level of attunement and I equated that level of attunement with me as love and care. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then I would bypass really validating my own needs first. Yeah. And I think it's so important before we look outward, before we look to have somebody else validate our needs, really start turning inwards and doing that for yourself first. I love to tell my clients of how is this so understandable that you have this need based on your past experiences, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times we can have this inner dialogue of, oh, I shouldn't need this. You know, I, I am too needy for mm-hmm. needing this. I'm too much. I'm too little. Whatever variation of that story you want to slap on it. But instead of sort of invalidating yourself and your needs, how is it so understandable based on your, based on your history that you have this need right now? How is it maybe a universal human need that you Mm -hmm. have, you know, like if it's a need for connection, that's a universal human need that doesn't make you needy It makes Mm -hmm. you human. You know, yeah. so really yeah. relating to it from this, it's how is it understandable? How is it universal? And really learning to, I, and I want to be careful that I'm not promoting hyper-independence here because to me, that's just the flip side of codependency. As you kind of heard in my journey, I swung from mm-hmm. codependency to hyper-independence. And to me, I think the goal of all relating is interdependence, learning that we can be interdependent. We can rely on others. We can also be sovereign at the same time. Those things are Mm -hmm. not mutually exclusive. Um, but, but really when we've been in this place of, of outsourcing our needs constantly to first primarily learn how to validate and meet those on our own before we're inviting other people into that. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to reparent yourself. Mm. And that's been such a journey for me. Um, But really looking at, you know, what didn't you get as a child? And how can you learn to give that to yourself now? And I know Mm -hmm. that that's kind of can seem, there's a lot of talk about that and it can seem sort of trite, but I really feel like doing that allows you to not bring your past into your present. It really allows you to to be operating from a clean place where you're Mm -hmm. not Let's say, I'll give you an example just for the sake of illustration. 
Um, when my husband leaves dishes in the sink, it can be a huge, huge, huge trigger for me. And I mean, to a level where you're like, okay, there's more going on than just the dishes in the sink. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't be that mad with just like the dishes being in the sink. And so really being able to look at that and look at some of the stories going on underneath there and saying, mm-hmm. what might this be attached to from my past? Like what, what trigger is this pushing on? And for me, my mom had to do all of the household stuff. And I saw that growing up. And I think I made this internal vow of I'm not going to be in a partnership where I'm the one to do everything because I don't Mm. don't want that. Right. And so when he leaves the dishes in the sink, my brain goes to you're going to end up in a marriage where you do everything, which is not remotely the case. Right. Mm. But but reparenting myself in those situations really looks like examining the story, examining where that's come from. What did I need that I didn't get? Give myself that, allowing the emotions to run through me and to process Mm -hmm. that so that when I come to my husband, instead of projecting and blaming him, Mm -hmm. I'm able to say to him, I'm realizing that this is triggering X, Y, Z in my past and it's making me feel, it's on me, right? Mm -hmm. It's making me feel X, Y, Z way. Um, But it can even be things like identifying and expressing your emotions, identifying and expressing your needs. Emotional regulation was a huge thing that I needed that I did not learn. You know, being able to give myself that now. Boundaries, huge thing that I did not learn. I I grew up in a very enmeshed home environment. So learning Mm -hmm. how to have healthy boundaries where I still am able to let people in and I'm not walled off because I, mm-hmm. I you know, my initial boundaries were walls, not, not permeable me- membranes where I could close and open the door for safe people into my life. Um, learning to self-soothe, all of this stuff falls underneath reparenting yourself. So it's not, I just wanted to give a little bit of examples because I know it can sound very like, what does that even mean to reparent yeah. yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to like interject because I feel like there's so much in there. Um, But I feel like one thing reparenting yourself helps with too, is it helps with a lot of resentment because like you were talking about bringing, like we don't want to bring as much from the past into the present. And when we don't reparent ourselves, when we don't tend to ourselves in that way, that I feel like there's, there can be a buildup of resentment or of anger or of, again, that feeling like previously we talked about like expecting other people to take care of you instead of taking care of yourself. Um, and so I feel like a lot of those spaces where we do look outward, it's because that wasn't tended to and just remembering like how we can tend to ourselves. The other thing that I actually just wanted your insight on is when you're talking about um, kind of like the dishes piece. So I feel like there's something that came up for me as you were sharing mm. that is I think something that we can also do just as people who are, you know, processing the stories quite regularly, because I know I process a lot of my yeah. stories regularly, is sometimes I do invalidate that there is also a real request there. So like, for yes. example, with the dishes, there have been times where I have or someone outside of me has invalidated Um, an actual request by saying, oh, are you sure that's not something from your past? Does that make sense? Absolutely. A thousand percent. I love that you brought up that distinction. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there's not something actually present there as well. I think it's super Like both can live. That there is not mutually exclusive. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean, it doesn't mean that I don't actually, that I, that I don't like the dishes in the sink because I don't, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like the dishes in the sink. That is an actual present day thing. Yeah. But kind of separating it, separating it from the trigger and then being able to talk about it from a place of like groundedness. West. And- yes. Yeah. A grounded request instead of a forceful demand that mm-hmm. somebody change based on this trigger. Yeah. And it's like removing the charge. Yes. And being able to work through, can you hear the thunder? Good. Yeah. It sounds amazing um, though. <laughs> yes. Being able to work through that in a, um, like you said, grounded way that you're, you're helping each other decide on what's going to work for both of you. Yeah. Because in one way it's going to be me demanding something my way and it's not taking into account his schedule at all. And mm-hmm. when he 
time to do it. And then the other way is a grounded request where we can talk about how we can take each other's needs into account. Mm -hmm. It's that right relationship again. Like it's, you know, you can enter it from that charged place or, or the like right relationship. Yeah. I love that. I'm glad we like paused for a second to chat through that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great distinction. Thank you for bringing it up. And my last one is to build inner safety and trust above all else. So I think that this is the piece that that is absolutely the most important. Um, And all of this really comes down to, for me, nervous system capacity, really building up your nervous system capacity. Somatic work, I think is so important. I, I, I really highly recommend, you know, we, we were talking just now, Megan and I about um, stories and unraveling stories. And I think that is so important, but there's also an imprint that all of this leaves on the body. And if we solely focus on the mind-based stories and we're never getting into how all of this has manifested in the body and are able to release it in that way, it, it can, it can just make you still feel stuck. So building that inner trust, building that nervous system capacity, resilience, really knowing that, that you've got your own back is so, so important. Really feeling and knowing that, especially for people with a background like mine who are in codependency recovery, knowing and feeling that no matter what happens externally to you, you have your own back and that you're going to be okay. So Mm -hmm. I'll give an example of this to illustrate my point as well. Clearly with my background, um, I shouldn't say clearly with my background, I have triggers around alcohol and Mm -hmm. I still have some pretty intense triggers around alcohol and my husband enjoys alcohol and there's nothing wrong with the way that he enjoys alcohol. There's nothing unhealthy about the way that he enjoys alcohol, but at times it triggers me. And so me being able to set a boundary with him that isn't enforcing and telling him, this is how you're going to behave. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what a boundary is. It's saying, if you drink more than X, that makes me feel uncomfortable and I'm responsible for regulating that and how I'm feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So if that happens, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. I'm just letting mm-hmm. you know that, right? So I know that I'm not putting myself in a situation. I have my own back and I'm not putting myself in a situation where I'm going to feel uncomfortable And I solely have to rely on him to meet my needs of only drinking X, Y, Z amount, because Mm -hmm. that's not fair to him. I'm responsible for my boundary and, and having my own back and how I want to feel right. Yeah. So having that trust that however he behaves, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to put boundaries and systems in place where I know are optimal, optimal for my thriving and for me mm-hmm. to feel good and for me to feel safe. I really love that. And I love how you kind of walked us through that as well. Just like even the part of like, I feel X, Y, Z, and then how you're going to take responsibility for how you're going to feel. I feel like there have been past examples or I've experienced when, when people use, I feel X, Y, Z. And so you should act this way to make me feel better. And that's not actually, that's not fair to, to anyone who's involved. Really. It's not helping the person who feels that way because they're just relying on other people. Um, and it's not beneficial for the people around them either, because then they're always having to kind of walk on eggshells or, you know, be, be wary of how that person's feeling because they have to take care of them. Um, and that's not, beneficial. And so when it's, it is that like self-responsibility and just being there for yourself, knowing that you can take care of how you're feeling. Um, so I really love that you walked us us through that. I think that was really powerful when it comes to relating with others and also just that self self safety that you're talking about. Yeah, of course. Before we step into the wrap up questions, I would actually love if you could share a little bit more about your background, because I know that you do some somatic work and I'm actually unfamiliar with, I know you took life, you're certified as a life coach, Mm -hmm. but I would love to hear a little bit specifically about your work um, somatically with clients, if you're willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this offshoot 
for me of doing somatic work is something that comes really naturally to me because I'm also a doctor of physical therapy. So I have 12 Mm. years of clinical practice of working with the body in a very tangible way. Yeah. My life coach training, I was also really, really fortunate that my training was holistic in nature. And I, within the very first training I got, I got somatic training. Mm. Um, So that was also included in that first round of training that I got. And then for me, I just firmly believe that I can only ever take people as far as I have gone myself. And so I always continue to invest in programs and healing programs and continuing to heal myself. As I I said, it's always an ongoing journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have found the somatic work to be sort of this key, if you would, that has unlocked things for me when I combine it with kind of a top down, what I mean by top down is cognitive and somatic mm-hmm. and then bottom up somatic and cognitive. When I do both a top down and bottom up approach, I just have found so much more healing that's available to me personally. And then when I went through the somatic programs and started incorporating that, incorporating that into my work with clients, I started to see so much better results mm-hmm. of, of people who, man, I've tried everything. And until I worked at it from like both ends, and if you could see my hands, they're kind of like a spiral right now. Um, when I worked at it from both ends together like that, it just clicked into place. So, you know, a lot of it is, is so simple. It's, it's, if, if someone is, feeling something and they're telling me, you know, I feel angry Hmm. and, and they're telling me that from a cognitive place, really directing them deeper. What does that anger feel like in your body? Mm -hmm. Where is it? Does, you know, can you describe it to me? Does it have a shape? Does it have a color? Is it moving? Is it tense? Is it hard? You know, and doing all of that is a way to center the self. And it's also a way to get in tune with your own body sensations to help you know, because so many times throughout our day, we're feeling things and we're just not consciously aware of it. All of us are born with these innate abilities to feel and to, um, you know, with an intuition that's online. And, and oftentimes we just don't make the connection, Mm -hmm. right. Of like, when I'm feeling this, it means this. We don't make the connection between, oh, this feeling, this like twinge of like a feeling of a butterfly in my stomach. It means that I feel really excited and this is the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. And the tricky thing is that every single person, the way, I mean, the beautiful thing too, the way that everybody's body communicates to them is so different. Mm -hmm. Everybody's body has this, their own unique language, you know? And for me, it's being able to tap each client in to how their body communicates with them and learning how to them learning how to speak that language fluently. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and that time between I feel something and I know what it means gets shorter and shorter and shorter as you become more and more aware of it. Totally. Yeah. Gosh, I love hearing about that. And that's, I've never heard it described as like top down and bottom up, but I just love that even just that visual, because that makes, it makes so much sense. Like you had talked about earlier as well. Like our body does hold all of this stuff. And when we can actually bring those things together and align everything, um, it just allows for so much more self-expression. I think too, that self-actualization because we can't get there without all parts of us there at the same time. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think, you know, at least for me and coaching and life, the goal is wholeness, you know, the goal, the goal is for all parts of me to be online and to be healthy and to be, um, nothing to be, you know, unintegrated. I I want to be an integrated and whole human being. I want the fullness of my humanity. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to do that if I don't include all parts of me, you know, including my body (laughs) in the West specifically, we have, we've, we've, um, idolized the intellect in such a way, Mm -hmm. you know, of like, we need to cognitively understand ourselves. We need to understand our patterns. We need to under, and yes, there's so much value in those things, but if we're keeping our body and our spirit, 
Mm-hmm. Today, and we're never addressing those things. It's going to be, it's going to be limited because we are body. We are, we are mind. We are spirit, you know, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of things, they all need to be addressed. Yeah, totally. Sometimes it just makes me laugh because like our body is like, you know, we, we, like you said, we kind of idolize like this brain part of us and like, there's so much more of us. Like if you just look at a person, the body makes up far more majority of the human being. (laughs) And that's the part that we forget or that we leave out a lot in our healing process. So thank you so much for sharing just kind of about that and, and your process with that. Yeah. Um, so I, before we move up into wrap up questions, is there anything that you feel like you want to tie up or speak out before we, we, we move into those? Hmm. Yeah. I think I want to say to whoever is listening that healthy relating in a place where you feel like you can bring all of you to your relationships and that relationships can be fulfilling, that you're so worthy of that Mm. and that it's possible. I just want to put that message out there because I know for me, when I was in, you know, so many relationships in the past, I thought that it was just something that was impossible or something that I wasn't worthy of or Um, may not ever happen for me. And I just want whoever is listening to know that you're worthy of it and that it is possible. (sighs) So good. So then what is one way you slow down amidst our busy world? I am a nature girl. Nature is just so rejuvenating and relaxing to me. So I will often go on walks during the middle of my day. I will often start my day just with grounding we have a little park that's right across the street from us. And mm. I will start the day journaling or reading in the park and with my feet on the earth and walking around barefoot. Um, I'll go to the river a lot. I live in a city that has a river running through it, which is great. Being by water really helps me. Um, I refuse to get up before 7.30 a.m. I am, <laughs> I am not a morning person. And I know that about myself and just being able to honor my capacity in that way and, and going slow in the morning and having sort of a leisurely morning routine is also a way for me to slow down. Yeah. I love that. So good. (laughs) And then who are a couple of humans you deeply admire or folks you're currently learning from? Yeah. So Madison Morgan is number one. Um, just someone that I greatly, greatly respect. She has helped me come to know myself so much more. And um, I think she is someone who lives her message in a really beautiful Mm. way and also just has amazing amounts of integrity. So yeah, want to have tip to her. Um, Another person that I'm learning from is um, a coach of mine, Caroline Leon. She is like queen of ethical marketing and business, which is something that Mm. is really, really important to me. Um, And it's really interesting to sort of go through a deprogramming process of all of the ways that we have learned marketing that is unethical. And it just feels so amazing and beautiful to have a mentor um, that can kind of call the things out where you're like, oh, that's not really (laughs) ethical marketing. Um, in the ways that I'm still blind to it because, you know, the programming is strong. So that's been really, really cool to learn ethical marketing. Um, that's awesome. And then my husband is the last person, but he's always my greatest mirror and teacher. And um, he's someone who is extremely lighthearted and playful and joyful. He's kind of like the yin to my yang. I can be, I can tend to be serious and I'm very deep. And so him being able to balance and balance me out in that way teaches me so much about life. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. So beautiful. And then how can we find and support you online? I am most often on Instagram and that my handle is Kim Kimball coaching. That's K I M B A L L is how you spell my last name. So that's where you can most readily find me. And you can also find me at my website, Kim Kimball Beautiful. I love it. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really love kind of where this conversation took us and it held so many like juicy pieces. I think when we talk about relationship and like 
relating to ourself and to others, there's so many nuances and so much to unpack. Um, and I feel like we covered a lot of like major pieces. Um, so thank you. Thank you for like bringing forth this topic and for being willing to chat through it with me. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. It was great. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Reclamation Podcast. I hope it served you on your own reclamation journey and know that I am rooting for you all the way. If you are desiring support on your journey, head to megscolleen.com. That's M-E-G-S-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com to learn more about me and my current coaching offerings and availability. If you want to learn more about the show guests, head to the show website, thereclamationpodcast.com. And last, but definitely not least, if you found value in the show, sharing this episode with friends and posting a quick review is always appreciated. As always, reclamation is yours.